You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. Everyone ready? We're good. I'm as ready as ever. Good. Well, then we already started. So welcome, (laughs) listeners, to another episode of the Center for Auto Safety podcast. Uh-oh. <laughs> nah. Of course, as, as soon as we start, our special guest holds up his finger and is like, hold on a second. I got to go. Now he's come back. Uh, this week, we want to welcome the chief of police in Hadley, Massachusetts, uh, Police Chief Michael Mason. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, oh, yes. Glad to have you. <laughs> thanks a lot. Um, yeah. So, uh, Fred, uh, Fred actually... Uh, um, hamstrung me right outside of uh, Northampton City Hall in front of about uh, 70 other people when I was uh, advocating for uh, immigrant driver's licenses and uh, asked me to be on the show. So uh, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, as uh, as you said, I'm uh, I'm the chief of police in Hadley. Uh, I have been in have been lucky enough to be in Hadley for uh, my entire career in law enforcement, actually nearly 25 years now. Um, I actually started off as a part time dispatcher there. Uh, and uh, the last seven or eight years, I've been chief. Uh, I'm also currently the president of the Western Mass Chiefs of Police Association. Uh, that's a two-year stint, unfortunately. It's a really long time. Uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I was uh, in Northampton uh, that day and uh, lucky enough to meet Fred. Uh, and so I have up until December to continue to serve as the uh, as the president and um, fortunately, one of the amazing duties that I do get, uh, you know, in, in holding that post is kind of being the, the figurehead for things like this. And so I, um, I look at it as a positive uh, because not only am I hoping to be here to learn a little bit from you folks about, you know, AV technology and things like that, but uh, hopefully I can, I don't know, uh, give you a little bit of insight on on how we might operate when uh when these things uh you know when everything really starts to ramp up and and get out and make its way out onto the roadways and also you know i'll be able to bring this information anything that i can learn from you folks back uh to to my organization because as the president of the western mass chiefs i work very closely with the executive board for the mass chiefs uh and that is going to serve to hopefully get this information out you know, across the entirety of law enforcement in our state, in our in our Commonwealth. So, um, you know, while I do have a you know a bachelor's degree in, in criminal justice and a master's in uh, criminal justice administration, and um, you know, focused on policy development uh, as well as security studies, uh, I also have enough certifications that I can be an emergency management director in Hadley if I if I wanted to. None of that. Uh, uh, qualifies me to speak on the subject that you folks uh, are pretty much experts in. So, as I mentioned, uh, I, I'm hoping to learn a little bit here, um, just as much as I hope to, uh, you know, kind of give you the law enforcement side of things. Well, thank you. And for our listeners, I want to give them a little perspective on Hadley, Massachusetts. Um, Hadley is a small slice of reality sandwiched between Northampton, Massachusetts, home of Smith College, and uh, one of the most wonderful cities in the country, and Amherst, Massachusetts, which is the home of University of Massachusetts, my alma mater, and uh, kind of a, a vision of the future on the hill. And uh, and Hadley gets both the benefit and the problems of being immersed between these two really intensely academic communities. So, beautiful yeah, town. Uh- that's actually an excellent, uh, you know, Fred. When I every every year when I uh, when I go through my budget process, one of the uh, one of the things that I, you know, I have to remind folks of and argue is that Hadley is extraordinarily unique. It is it is an extraordinarily difficult town to um, to write a budget for and to try to plan public safety around because um, we have an a, an extremely small population. It's, uh, you know, 5,500 people, somewhere around there, 5,500 actually Hadley residents. And the average annual, you know, according to MassDOT, we've looked at a number of different studies, um, but uh, the average annual daily vehicle count 
through our town can reach 100,000 vehicles in a day. And so it's really, really hard to, to explain that to folks and say, you know, we're not just, you know, public safety for the 5,500 residents. We have an enormous commercial district and uh, we're a throughway, basically, as you mentioned, Fred, between, you know, people hop off Interstate 91 to go to Northampton. And if you want to go to UMass, uh, you're going through Hadley uh, one way or the other on one of those roads. So uh, I think it is kind of fitting, um, you know, that I'm I'm on this podcast today because we definitely deal with a lot of vehicle traffic. Great. Well, I want to jump in right on an AV question, which might be impossible for you to answer. I don't know. So we've talked a lot about automated vehicles on this show. And so my question is, if let's say I go through your town and I'm speeding, you pull me over. Can I jump out of the driver's seat, go into the passenger seat and just claim it was an automated vehicle that took over the vehicle and then you ticket <laughs> my car instead of me? No, uh, no, I, I I don't think that's going to work. And if um, I jumped in the back seat, would that help? No, it's, it's not going to matter what seat you jump in, or even if you hop out and you run inside, uh, you know, uh, five guys and get get yourself a, a hamburger. Um, you know, it's really going to come down to the actual operation of the vehicle. So, um, so that's the real question then. So, is it an automated vehicle? And and I know we've seen this more in San Francisco, where these vehicles are taking essentially taxi passengers out. And the vehicles, for whatever reason, because there shouldn't be on the road, uh, just stop in the middle of the street. Now, if I did that as a driver in your town and I just stopped the car and I was like, eh, I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah. I imagine I would get a ticket the, at the least. Yeah. I mean, not only would you get a ticket, but, you know, especially in our town with that, that much vehicle traffic, you know, if we're talking about something that's not going to move again, whether it be based upon your refusal or based upon some malfunction from an automated vehicle, we're going to have to tow it. We're going to have to move it some way, one way or the other, um, and, uh, you know, just to get it out of the roadway. So, yeah, it presents a number of problems. So do you have any idea of who gets the, so it's an automated vehicle, say it's a, it's a self-driving automated vehicle taxi service that doesn't exist yet. I'm just the passenger. This car decides to stop. Who gets the ticket or how do you handle that situation? See, that's that's part of the problem. And that's one of the uh, one of the things that I wanted to highlight with this. And while I while I find this technology to be uh, extraordinarily interesting, really kind of cool. I get it. You know, my wife has the the lane departure thing on her car and the automatic stop and all that stuff. Really neat tech. OK, so I'm not downplaying that at all. But the problem is that historically, at least in Massachusetts, the laws need to catch up with the technology. The laws have to, the laws have to be ahead of the technology um, in order to handle these problems. And experts in these fields, in both the tech and the law and law enforcement, um, need to be at the table to discuss this before these things hit the roadway. Um, and historically, especially in Massachusetts, that has not happened. You know, I, I always I give an example. I always use an example. Um, long, long time ago when I was a, a patrol officer and a, and a sergeant, my chief had me certified as a drug recognition expert. And uh, it's an extraordinarily difficult field to get into in law enforcement. It's uh, it's massive training. Uh, and essentially what it comes down to is, is we are trained to assess somebody who is utilizing something other than alcohol when operating a vehicle. And we're actually trained to determine you know, categories of the type of drugs that they are using. It's part of the criminal charge that's required. Um, and I can remember one specific instance where I uh, had a, we had a car crash and the individual who was the cause of the car crash was one of the most impaired people that I can probably remember dealing with in all my years in law enforcement, could barely stand up, slurring his words, just, I mean, it was scary that the person made it as far as they did. Mm. And the point that the reason I tell the story is because this was an easy one where we knew he wasn't drinking because I had a portable breath test machine and he blew all zeros and he had pills in, on his person. And he said, I took, he admitted, I, I took too many of these. And so we charged the individual and brought it to court. And the, 
the 9024 law for the category and classification of the drug that he was holding, a prescription medication that he took too much of, impaired himself to the point where he crashed his vehicle into another vehicle, having a victim now of a, of a crime, was unchargeable because that drug had not yet been classified as something that in Massachusetts we can charge somebody with a crime for for driving under the influence. And so I use that example and I it doesn't certainly doesn't correlate exactly, but I use that example because the laws have to be ahead of what we're going to be dealing with out there in order for us to deal with it. Um, and so your question is 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 pointed and poignant in that I can't answer it. I don't have the foggiest clue how we would handle that situation. You have a passenger in a vehicle, the vehicle somehow malfunctions and is speeding, uh, or it causes a crash, or it just stops and doesn't want to go anywhere. What on earth are we supposed to do with that? There's no law. There's no chapter and section to cite a uh, uh, an electronic vehicle company. Um, there's nothing like that that exists that I'm aware of, at least in Massachusetts. So, yeah, great question. <laughs> a little scary. <laughs> a great answer. So, are I don't think are AVs on the road in Massachusetts right now. At least not that I'm aware of. No, not okay. certainly not full AVs. I, I, I obviously there's um, I the last I understood that was that they there were some you know in testing phases uh, around the state. But I, I am unaware of any fully automated vehicles that are in mass. And if there are, you know, I God bless the police department that they're driving around their their community. And because, I you know, I, I don't know how you would uh, how you would deal with something like that. Yeah. How would you pull that car over? Like, well, good question. You know, how do you, you know, if there's a, a situation like the other day I, I'm driving and there is a, you know, there's a traffic stop and it's, you know, it's a large police SUV that it just stopped there. It didn't have their lights on for whatever reason, but I knew as a driver, oh, I have to go into the opposing lane of traffic and go around it. I don't mm-hmm. know if AVs could do that. And it could have right. been a situation that is a human officer outside saying, no, pull over to the side or something right. and I, so you have yeah so you have the move over law that's a perfect example you know you have that move over law where you know if an uh, if an av uh is driving down the roadway you know how will it know what a safe distance is if someone is if some if a regular car let's just say a regular car breaks down and pulls into the breakdown lane you know you if you're if you're driving on route nine as an example not right now because it's under construction and it's an absolute disaster but normally it's a four-lane roadway Okay, and you have breakdown lanes on both sides. If there's a car broken down in the breakdown lane, you have plenty of room to pass in the right lane, right? You know, the car's in the breakdown lane, so essentially you now have, you know, three lanes of traffic. There's no problem there. But there is a move-over law in Massachusetts. So what happens if right behind that broken-down car is the cruiser that you were just talking about with its lights on and you are now required to move over? How will an AV know that that's what what's supposed to happen there do you have the room sure but you're not supposed to be in that lane now with the cruiser uh in that lane the emergency vehicle fire truck whatever it is an ambulance you now are supposed to move over well i i honestly i, I don't have an answer for that uh, you know for that question as well and and to, to go back really quickly about whether or not they're on the road yet in mass um you know i i yeah, I'm going to be asking around certainly after this podcast because you bring up a good point that, um, you know, I haven't heard anything from our Mass Chiefs delegation. They are really involved in legislation in Massachusetts and things like that. So they see all the new things that are coming. Uh, to my knowledge, no one has brought up anything about uh, AV technology out there, driverless vehicles uh, in our state, in our Commonwealth yet. Mm-hmm. Have any of the any of the officers expressed any concern about the Teslas and the history of Teslas uh, running into emergency vehicles with their lights flashing? Because it, uh, it I, seems that some, somehow they've got an, a reverse algorithm in there that rather than avoiding the flashing lights, they maybe they're part moth. I'm not sure, but it tends to attract them. 
That's and, uh, and, and before we leave that, I want to uh, invite Michael to talk about the court case in California that's come up that's trying to test whether or not the human being is is available and uh, or is responsible for their crash. And but please go ahead. Yeah, I mean to answer your question, and my officers specifically have uh, haven't brought up any concerns over that. We actually have a couple of places in town with. Uh, massive uh, Tesla uh, charging stations. So we see, you know, quite a few uh, Teslas and, and electron, electric vehicles uh, in our community. Um, but we haven't had, uh, we haven't had, I haven't heard any concerns from the officers specifically, but you bring up a, another frightening point that if they are somehow attracted to the flashing lights, that's not a good thing. Um, but uh, not, not just, specific just, to our department. Dan, just for your information, the National traffic uh safety national transportation NITSA? safety board i too many yeah. yeah. ntsb we call it, it NITSA. it's just easier to say it that way well it's not NITSA. this is the national transportation safety board ntsb okay is is actively investigating the uh tendency of teslas to get involved with emergency vehicles and uh, uh, some other crashes. Michael, you, you got more details on that? I, the uh, NHTSA has an open investigation into uh, Tesla autopilot and incidents with emergency responders. And um, I believe they said they are moving the other just the other day. They said they are moving quickly to wrap that up and that it presents some novel legal um, issues, which is, you know, a lot of this technology does specifically here, you know, determining, you know, can you call um, if if vehicles are running into emergency vehicles, but also other things. And, you know, we've seen motorcyclists and other things. Can you say that that, you know, autopilot or full self-driving has one defect when it's having all these different types of crashes? Um, yeah. There's 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 a lot of novel legal things going on there. But, you know, like you're talking about trying to pull one of these vehicles over and how you exchange information and, and a lot of the crash things are, are issues that we're only just starting to crack. Like in San Francisco, I know there have been a couple of instances where police officers seem confused as to what to do. I mean, you don't really have a human to engage with in the vehicle. You, you're not really sure what the operating status of the vehicle is. You don't know if it's in park or drive, or, I mean, there was, I think one, one circumstance in uh, San Francisco where the vehicle was pulled over and the officer began to approach it. And the vehicle then decided it wanted to pull off and go forward and find a safer spot to park, which, you know, if you were a human driver, you might be in a lot of trouble in that situation. <laughs> um, but these, these autonomous vehicles seem to get away with it because there's, you know, there's, it's, I guess it's hard to look at that behavior as, you know, a conscious violation of the law by a human in some respects, but in, um, that's something we're going to have to find a way to get around is find a way to enforce the law on machines um and and i don't you know like like you say chief it's massachusetts isn't quite there yet and um i know that there you know i know that massachusetts and boston has its own kind of program for autonomous vehicles um i know they have a program but i don't know that anyone is actively testing um and in fact in your area in hadley i think the first vehicles Y'all might see out there some of the uh, long-range semis and that type of AV that's that's probably going to be on I ninety up there. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Uh, when you say um, when, when you're talking about novel legal uh, issues, are we talking about um, you know the actual criminal violations here? Are we talking about like lawsuits that that they have to hash out before we can even get to the next step? You know, I think there's probably a mix of everything. I know, right, like Fred brought up in uh, the California case with Tesla right now, you know, there's uh, someone who's been charged with, I believe, I think it's voluntary manslaughter for basically turning on the um, full self-driving or autopilot. I don't believe they had full self-driving when this occurred, but the autopilot system and then killed two people. Mm. Um there's a kind of a novel legal issue there, whether, you know, someone can be charged for basically doing what the, you know, the manufacturer advertised those vehicles as being capable of. 
Um, how much responsibility can you put on that person when they're kind of following the following what these vehicles are, you know, marketed to do um, in many ways. And, and, you know, we also see that, I think we, I say this all the time, but there was a study that found that, you know, about half the people who, who, who buy Teslas think that they can drive themselves, which is completely incorrect. (laughs) And um, they are the types that are relying on these cars in this way. And then, you know, it's just inevitable that we're going to see more legal cases crop up where charging decisions are made difficult because of this interaction between the human and machine and you know everything from the basic i'm pulling over the vehicle to you know who gets sued and who goes to jail all of that is going to be we're going to need to look at everything in that uh spectrum and make sure that we've covered legally to provide for some certainty for the guys on the streets like you well, so Michael, you bring up a, an excellent point. I mean, there's about a dozen things in there that uh, worry me enough that that really kind of say, you know, those things would need to be finalized and discovered uh, and really kind of flushed out before these things hit the roadway uh, in any kind of significant fashion. Um, that's a lot of I mean, that's a lot to unpack right there. I mean, that's just, that's a lot of information. That's a lot of scary things. You're talking about people, you know, could be criminally charged and liable. You're talking about the companies themselves. Um, You know, when we get to, when they get to a full AV, um, you know, there's obviously, you know, you said it to, you know, you like you said, the guy that said it to, um, to auto, autopilot or auto drive or whatever it is, what are the settings? You know what I mean? So you're talking about massive trainings that are going to have to happen with law enforcement to know what to look for. I'll give you an example. Uh, Massachusetts um, just uh, maybe last year or so uh, just updated their texting and driving law to you maybe last year or two years ago, texting and driving, can't text and drive anymore. So, um, you know, people have a right to privacy to their cell phones. Okay. So, you see somebody, if you're driving behind somebody, you see somebody swerving inside and out of the, out of the lanes. Okay, 2 o'clock in the morning, you can probably guess what the reason for that is. But at noon, um, there's a high likelihood that they're texting, okay? But you can pull them over for the marked lanes violation. But once you get up to the car, ain't nobody giving you their cell phone. You're not going to be looking at their cell phone to determine whether or not they were texting. They're not handing that thing over, okay? They're, they have a right to privacy to that. And so unless you see it happening... You you know you pull up next to somebody in traffic and you see him banging on the phone. Um, that's a different story. Okay, so let's say you you have an an AV driving on the road that is speeding. You pull the vehicle over. Let's say somehow you pull the vehicle over and it actually stops. Uh, what are the cops looking for? What do they know? What to look for? How do you know what to see? You know, is there a setting that shows what the speed was? Uh, what it, what it was set to by the by the. Uh, the company or the operator or, or the 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 person who the passenger, I guess we could call them, uh, in the vehicle. And so you're talking about massive tr- amounts of training to learn. And then you're gonna and then there's gonna be dozens of different makes and models out there. They're gonna have different features. Yeah. How are you gonna you know how are we gonna parse that out? Um, one of the things that Fred brought up, uh, I think I'm not sure if it was while we were talking, while we were chatting in the street, or maybe in one of the initial emails was. Um, uh, crashes, uh, crashes with uh, battery fires and the, and the the electronics that are in there and the technology. Um, my guess is, and I'm I'm not speaking for a fire department, but my guess is is you probably can't show up and throw water on those things um, the way that you would with a you know internal combustion engine fire or something like that. Uh, and what about training for the fire department now to deal with those issues? All of these things need to happen before something bad happens, before they get out on the road and they get pulled over, before they get out on the road and they actually crash. I mean, that's just my opinion, but um, I, I, I feel like people, I, I feel like there's a chance for people to get hurt or worse before the, you know, if, if these things don't get, figured out before these things are on road and mass uh so one, one detail i want to just express to you the uh tesla has said that 
they're providing recommendations to fire departments that in the event of a battery fire, they will need to dose the batteries with 3,000 gallons of water, which is interesting because a typical fire truck only handles, what, 300 gallons of water? So what we're we're talking about is having a reserve capability equivalent to 10 fire trucks for every Tesla fire that's out there. So, uh, so uh, you, you know the area, right? You know Hadley a little yeah. bit. Um, uh, you know behind the uh, <clears throat> behind the the stop and shop area. Um, there's a big cell tower out there. Uh, yeah. Just yesterday, we have a we have a, a homeless encampment out there. A bunch of folks who you know they don't want to. You know, we we've actually over this last cold snap, we got them. Uh, you know, vouchers to stay in a hotel and stuff like that. And they're happy where they are. They just want to, they want to live out there. And, and, you know, the property owners don't really mind too much. But yesterday afternoon, one of them had a campfire going and it got out of control. The fire department showed up and I heard them on the radio within about three or four minutes hollering that they were out of water already. Their truck was out of water already. They don't carry 3,000 gallons of water. There's no chance. And even with, Amherst being as close as they were, like you said, Fred, if they carry 500 gallons each, that's only a thousand with two departments showing up. How many departments right. are calling for a battery fire? Right. So one of the positions of the car companies is that they're getting this information out to first responders and that that's a sufficient corporate responsibility. Right. Well, so tell that tell that but, to the taxpayers. Tell that to the taxpayers when the fire departments have to go in front of the towns uh, at a capital, uh, uh, you know, capital planning uh, meeting and ask for a million dollars to get a fire truck that has a three thousand gallon uh, water tank, which I don't even know exists. Yeah, not, and, and, and that of, may not be enough. Right. We've seen some fires that take as many as over twenty thousand gallons of water. So. Oh, um, and by the way, they sometimes burst into flames spontaneously days right. after they've been towed to a a, uh, a junkyard. So it's good. yeah, it's a real hazard. But yeah, and that's so a really guessing, important thing. Yeah, I'm guessing you don't have automobile companies showing up at your town capital budget meetings to. No. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> so going going back to a little bit what you were saying with AVs. So right now you're officers and I imagine you you get trained on how to do a traffic stop. And yep. but you don't have training for how to pull over a pickup truck versus a subcompact versus one from Honda versus one from Volkswagen. No, we don't break it up like that. We right. uh, and we certainly practice, you know, during the academy and stuff like that we'll practice on different vehicles just because of height advantages and disadvantages and things like that. Sure, but like your interaction are going to follow more or less the same things. Is the oh, absolutely sober and whatnot versus with an AV? I think where you're just hitting at is is if each manufacturer is storing that data and going to share it in a different way. Now all of a sudden, your trainings have gone like through the roof. Like I, yeah. I couldn't imagine what it would be like doing a traffic stop. Then be like, oh, I've pulled over this brand. I have to pull out the manual on my phone and figure out this is well, how to interact with it. Like. That just and, and, so, and so what's so what's inevitably going to happen, Anthony, is is uh, apathy um, in law enforcement. It's uh, unfortunately it's a it's a great place where apathy lands often. You know, when you're when you're used to dealing with the, the negative things in life over and over and over again, um, you know, showing up and, and talking to people basically on their worst day, you don't get a chance to see a lot of happy people throughout the course of your day. Um and so if we're if, if officers are going to be put into a position to have to learn so much uh, that it becomes so cumbersome, you're going to get apathetic officers and you're going to get officers who are not going to they're not going to finish what they started. They'll pull the vehicle over. They'll walk up. And as soon as they see it's an AV, we're done. You know, they're they're going to get they're going to get sick and tired of it really quickly. And then what? Then whatever the problem is if we you know there, there's not going to be any data there won't be any statistics out there to show that uh, motor vehicle stops for avs have risen x amount of percent over the last few years what's going on here you know the data will will disappear because they'll they'll just they'll see what they have they'll realize it's not the juice isn't worth the squeeze so to speak 
and just kick it loose and it'll just go on down the road. And so that's one of the the important things about it. You know, um, we we have a, a records management system uh, in our police department because of the fact that we deal with so much traffic. So much of our activity is traffic based. Um, we try to track it in a number of different ways. And I can tell you right now, uh, our RMS system is not capable, uh, is not built to do anything with AV technology. There's no way to enter that information. We we wouldn't even know where to start. We would have they would have to go back to coding, and and recode uh, the the RMS system so that we could enter something like that. Um, so that's you know that's going to be the unfortunate thing about it. It's a great question because that's that's the truth. Uh, you know you know nobody wants to say that, but that's what's going to happen. So there'd have to be some sort of standardized ways for these companies to make law enforcement's job easier. I mean, so we yeah. wouldn't get that burnout. I would say not only law enforcement, but, you know, going back to the fire department situation, right. you know, the safety technology and all that, that's got to be standardized as well uh, to make sure that they can be dealt with appropriately by all public safety. I mean, uh, uh, inspections. You know, motor vehicle inspections to get your sticker in Massachusetts. I don't know if every state has an inspection, but I know in Massachusetts, it's, uh, you know, it's certainly a pain in the butt to go get your vehicle inspected every single year. But there have, doesn't, shouldn't there be a standardized way to do that as well? Uh, you know what I mean? Is that going to change also? There's a whole number of, uh, number of things that I hope are being considered. Let's just say that. I hope. I don't want to, I don't want to say that they're not because I don't know, but I'm hoping that they're being considered. Well, we, we we agree with you. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about internally and uh, actually across the industry is how can the self-driving vehicles, automated vehicles, whatever you want to call them, how can they be certified to be safe as they roll down the road during a annual inspection? A lot of the safety critical features that they've got and the life critical features that they've got are simply unavailable to somebody who's doing a visual inspection. So there's got to be some way for the uh, inspection person at the you know at the gas station to get a readout of how these invisible safety critical features are being maintained and whether or not they're all active as they should be. Now I know that in the um, inspection you've got a readout of the oxygen sensor that says basically that the environmental systems in your car are working adequately seems that that would be a good way to approach these systems that are the the critical functions that are invisible to a human being but is that's something that needs to be mandated at the state level doesn't it and wouldn't that require legislative action well i to my knowledge yes i mean i know that uh, a lot of different states have a lot of different restrictions when it comes to uh in the environmental features that you brought up um my guess is that there's probably some differences in even the basic safety features across some states. And I think all of that comes down to legislation. It's based upon state by state. So how, there, how, does, a, how, does, an inter, how does a national or an international uh, electric vehicle company or AV company handle that? <laughs> how do you no, do that's it? Good. Well, you know, what, what they've done so far is to try to go in at the federal level and whitewash the whole approach by saying that they're indemnified for any liability. Well, um, happily, that ha that has not gotten through. But Michael, you got a perspective on that? You know, they, they, there's a lot of little issues here. I mean, we got we need standardization for things like y'all talking about, like firefighters, how police officers can pull over a vehicle, how these vehicles are going to allow information to be exchanged and crashes, all that stuff. Um, but what we're seeing from, I mean, we've seen an example this past week out in Seattle where um, Seattle DOT, and we talked about this last week, I think, has has created a, a few additional rules that would require AV companies operating in Seattle to submit an action plan for emergency responders that goes over those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And um, what the state of Washington did then was say, oh, whoa, Seattle, you're, 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 uh, 
creating some laws here and we're the legislature we want to do this and they have put out a new law that is going to preempt everything seattle's done effectively um which was pretty clearly uh something that was done by the autonomous vehicle manufacturers lobby um who did not like the fact that seattle was putting additional restrictions on them that effectively were being put in place to help police and first responders. So uh, as, as, as part of the plan. So that's, that's kind of the whitewash Fred's talking about. We see that, but at the same time, what we don't see, you know, we see, we see manufacturers pushing back against state laws. They want to lobby and get state laws that allow them to put the cars on the roads, not necessarily safely, safely. Um, they, they kind of want to be in complete control there. And at the same time, we know that NHTSA is very slow to regulate, very slow to get, um, you know, getting these type of regulations out that would apply broadly across all states is going to take at least a decade or more, probably. Yeah. And so in that meantime, we've literally got a situation where manufacturers kind of can do what they want. Cities are being preempted. They're trying to preempt states from doing certain things to enforce, um, you know, design, performance and other types of things. So it's it's you know it's kind of scary that there's not you know a better better oversight of this entire industry as it moves forward they're kind of creating it as they go and you know we're not the the laws are going to fall behind and we're going to have negative consequences yeah uh, that's a that's a great point it's a good word to use is scary uh, i you know it I, it's, it feels like it's not enough uh, of a of a strong word for it but uh, you make a good point. You have, you know, you have these experts. You have the 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 regulators, NHTSA, and and, and people like that. You know, it, okay. So let's just say that uh, this requires legislation, like requires state legislation, whatever it is. Um, why are these people not at the table? Why are the only folks at the table the the AV companies, right? That's and that's the thing is that if it, it, you you can't, I'm just I'm. You know, speaking from experience uh, in a law enforcement field that has, you know, over the years uh, and in the recent history dealt with some uh, some really quick legislation that was put into place that was sweeping um, uh, both federally and uh, and, you know, within just our state. These things, they they have a there's there's a there's a reason that they have a kind of a playbook that they have to follow, right? There's a reason that you're supposed to have these hearings. There's a reason that you're supposed to be talking to these experts in the field, because what you, there, there's always a practical application to this, right? You're not, you're not writing laws for the fun of things. You're writing laws because eventually they will have to be, you know, somebody will have to apply them somehow, somewhere. And if they don't work, what's the point? If you want a good laugh, go look at the first three or four, um, uh, three or four iterations of the Massachusetts uh, legalization of marijuana law. Uh, that's a good laugh if you want it, because when they first wrote it, you want to talk about apathy. You know, uh, officers were like, "I don't care. I mean, you, you want to smoke weed, smoke weed. Who cares? I can't do anything anyways." And it and it changed so many times and in so many different ways, and it was unappliable. So it was basically, okay, whatever. And that's what you're going to end up with in this situation, except for the fact that you have a 3,000-pound bullet driving down the road. Now, you're not just talking about somebody smoking weed. Who cares? Right. Um, so you're right, Michael, that the um, uh, it is scary. And I think what has to happen is all of those experts need to come together and get to the, ta- to the table to create these regulations first. And there needs to be input by everyone so that when the regulations go into place, they can be practically applied and done so in a standardized way. Um, uh, where does this table exist? Because we'd be happy to uh, sit there too. <laughs> See, there you go, Fred. <laughs> We've just started it. Yeah. So, so who is the, the most dangerous drivers on the road? Is it drunk drivers, stone drivers, or teenage drivers? Texting and driving has uh text statistically speaking texting and driving has been on the rise for uh one of the more dangerous things that you can do on a roadway um 
drunken drugged driving there have been so many studies done that you know going back to the you know 70s and the 80s in california california was the first uh state that i'm aware of uh that started the drug recognition expert program that's where this all began back in law enforcement and going back to the 70s and 80s there had they have been doing studies year by year after year and, and time and time again that show that upwards of 70 70 to 80 percent of drivers if they are impaired by a substance they are likely impaired by more than one substance and so you have drunk and drugged drivers out there more often than you think i can tell you that some of the most horrific car crashes that i have i have seen in my career have been in the middle of the night unfortunately by you know caused by drunk and drug drivers um teenage drivers they go in my experience it's short short spurts of of scariness right they'll do they'll put their foot on the pedal and see how fast they can go for you know 500 yards on route 9 or something like that uh not uh, as likely to cause a crash but texting uh and drunken drug drug drivers in my opinion is uh, are two of the or the more dangerous things that you can do behind the wheel of a vehicle and so my other question is uh, i live in new york and I'll, I'll drive through massachusetts a couple times a year and do massachusetts drivers see my new york license plate and decide just to mess with me to like put on the <laughs> left turn and go right um, you know they'll just slow down in front of me or they'll try and drive through the my trunk you uh you you uh you're aware of you know if you drive through massachusetts you're aware that some that the massachusetts drivers have uh some of the worst reputations for their driving capabilities across the country. I had so. no idea. I mean, I'm surrounded by New Jersey on one side, which is just painful. But yeah. they have an excuse because if you make a wrong turn off of an exit ramp, you're stuck off that exit ramp for like the next hundred miles. Yeah, you're not getting yeah. back on. Massachusetts. Yeah. I think you're just messing with me. Or there's something. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I, you know, I know. Like I said, uh, Massachusetts drivers. They've earned the poor reputation. They've earned it, and they wear it like a badge of honor. I swear. <laughs> you know, so you know I, can, that. I can actually give you some perspective on that, Anthony, because I grew up in Massachusetts and then I moved down to the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, and in both areas, yeah, you can easily get killed in an intersection. The difference is that in Massachusetts, when somebody tries to kill you in an intersection, it's because they're trying to get somewhere ahead of you. In Washington, they'll just do it because they want to kill you. <laughs> well, hey, look, having lived in D.C. for a number of years, D.C. has some strange things. Like, I was on a street that was parallel to itself. Like, I, you know, the, oh, I'm on D Street here, and it's D Street there. And we they're one of those. in the same direction. So we, have one like of those, we have one of those in Hadley, actually. We have uh, we have two streets called West Street, and they run parallel to each other, and it's uh, it, it's home to the... Uh, to the longest, I think it's known as the, it's ranked as the longest public town common in New England or something like that. But there's two West Streets. So imagine having a car crash on that and having to tell dispatch where exactly you are on West Street when there's two of them. Yeah. One of my brothers came to visit me once. He's like, look, I'm in the corner of your street. I'm like, I know you're not. And I'm like, oh, I got to go a block away and find you. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so have you noticed during the pandemic or has, has driving improved or gotten worse? in the last few years things um, incidences or I, i'll i'll tell you i i will say this during the pandemic uh i you know obviously i and my officers worked through the pandemic i can tell you that as frightening as at least the the first part of the pandemic was when you know we when we didn't know exactly what was going on and we were responding to calls and you know wearing masks and space shields and everything i'll tell you it was a joy to be on the roadways because nobody was on the roadways. It was really, really nice to drive down Route 9 and be able to get from one side to the other uh, in under 40 minutes. Um, but uh, no, you know, I haven't actually noticed anything significantly worse. Um, statistically speaking, we uh, we do collect, you know, annual data and try to run numbers and take a look at, um, you know, uh, if we see any, any change, any significant changes. Nothing really significant has changed except for the volume um the volume had the volume of vehicles especially in our area has increased um our community uh and the communities around us as fred mentioned in the beginning we have northampton on one side amherst at the other and hadley in the middle with a big commercial district and we actually are 
smack dab in the center of, of what we call the five college area. So we have, you know, UMass, Amherst College, Hampshire College, Mount Holyoke, and Smith. Um, so we have a huge influx of folks. And uh, what I can tell you is that the volume of, of vehicles seems to be increasing. Um, but as far as good drivers, bad drivers, you know, that getting better or worse, I think it's about the same. <laughs> we still have a ton of car crashes. You know, and Massachusetts is actually statistically one of the safest places to drive in America. So yeah. year after year, they're up near the top. So that's that's frightening. That surprised <laughs> Anthony, I can say. It. <laughs> yeah, it did, because I swear to God, they're just trying to, you know, run me off the road. I, it's really it's the it's the turn signal thing. I, I see it constantly. Left turn signal. I'm going right. And it's like, oh, why are you doing that to me? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, all right. Do we have any, uh, more? you know, one thing, one thing that I wanted to get into too, is I, I wonder if you've seen this, cause we keep noticing this and you know, this, the data seems to back it up, but there's been a significant rise. It appears in vehicle thefts across the country, um, generally, and also recently specifically a lot of them due to this TikTok hack on Kias and Hyundais, which have been being stolen mm -hmm. to the extent that insurance companies aren't even willing to cover them anymore. <laughs> um, and we've talked about uh, why that happened. You know, that Hyundai cho chose not to install immobilizers in these vehicles, which makes them easier to steal. Um, but, you know, I, I'm interested in if, if you've seen increased rates of theft during this period and also something we got into during the other podcast that I'm always interested in, you know, if, if they can install, if we have a lot of technology at our hands now, and is there, is it time that we start looking at, you know, kill switch type technology for, for vehicles that are stolen, not just to, you know, recover the car, uh, find the perpetrators, get them stopped safely, but also to prevent them from committing other crimes, which stolen cars are also used for. So, so that's two questions. So the first right. question is, um, you know, as far as the, the stolen vehicles, we have not seen it, uh, any significant uptick in stolen vehicles. We do have, as I mentioned, a huge uh, commercial district. And so we have malls and strip malls and stores and superstores and stuff like that. So we get our fair share of stolen vehicles. What we have seen an uptick in is um, catalytic converter thefts. Yeah. Uh, those are going through the roof like they are just uh, there is no fear. You know, they'll they'll slide under a vehicle in midday and right in front of Petco at the mall, rip a catalytic converter out and just be on their way. It's it is insane, um, but not actual vehicles, you know, no uptick. We, we do get a lot, but not, you know, not not an increase. Um, the second part of it, I love the idea absolutely love the idea and you brought up a bunch of good reasons why and i'm not sure if you actually touched on it or not but the one thing that pops into my head is uh vehicle pursuits okay vehicle pursuits in law enforcement are are they're the bane of my existence okay uh that, that might be a strong word but i have changed my pursuit policy a number of different times to try to you know, in this profession, you're not you're not getting, you know, 35 year old, you know, men and women and, and 40 year old men and women who uh, who are, um, you know, who don't have a uh, a Superman complex and uh, who, who don't, uh, you know, who are have established families and things like that applying to be police officers. Now, uh, it never it never was like that. You're getting 20 year old men and women who are out of college, who, you know, are, are in that that part of their lives and probably should be covered under, I think somebody brought up, uh, you know, uh, dangerous drivers. They should be covered under that category of they're young enough that they're, you know, that, that they're, they're not the safest drivers in the world. And so this is what you have in law enforcement agencies, you know, at least in Massachusetts, probably across the country. So I've had to change the policy a number of times to try to enhance and increase the safety of the officers on the road and, you know, who they may be pursuing. Um, and not a lot of the obviously, you know, th this is what they signed up to do. They want to catch bad guys. Right. You know, th that's what they that's what they want to do. And I've had, you know, been looking back on my time as a young officer, I've had a, a number of pursuits and, you know, 
my heart broke when my supervisor said to cut the pursuit off. You know, I wanted to catch this guy. That's my job. Um, but I say all that to say, boy, oh boy, you know, that kill switch technology, things like that need to, we need to start thinking about those things because I don't know of any departments around me yet, but I know that there are departments across our country who are telling their officers, you don't chase, period. Right. Not even for 50 feet. How long does it take before, you know, the the thief knows that? And all they have to do is go. Um, so, yeah, is it safer to not chase? Sure. I mean, I guess. But what what is the, what are the consequences to that? And so if there was something in the middle, something, some type of technology, like you said, Michael, you know, we have the ability. Um, if there was some type of technology to add into that scenario to not have to chase, but still not have to say sayonara to my, to my, uh, my vehicle or, you know, God forbid something worse, you know, somebody kidnaps a kid or something like that. Um, yeah, I would love to see yeah. something. I would love to see some advances in that type of technology. Right. And you'll still have to chase them, but it'll be outside of the car. <laughs> yeah. That, hey, that's fine, right? Then you're talking yeah. you're just talking about sprained ankles at that point. Okay, <laughs> we can deal with that. <laughs> they they got to get the uh, the foam systems they have at airport runways. Like if a plane is landing, and they'll foam it. And so the the plane doesn't run away. Just to install those on a bunch of cop cars. That's fine. I'm good with that, too. Like you said, technology, it's there. We just got to be willing to do it. <laughs> so so I, I think we were about ready to wrap up. So before we go, I have a question for a friend. What's the statute of limitations on hot wearing a car as a teenager? <laughs> I think uh, I remember this. Anthony, come on. Come on. You got to help me out here. I didn't say it was you. And you know, look, you, you said it was decades. You just gave ago. it up, Fred. You just <laughs> gave it up. Yeah. You yeah, walked right into it. Hey, knowing how to do something doesn't mean you actually did it. This uh -huh. is true. Yeah, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, but but Chief, I just wanted to say before we wrap up that uh, it's been great having you on here. And you talked about coming to the table several times to to work on some of these regulations that are needed. We'd be happy to help if, you know, um, be happy to well, have you come back on. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I have, activity. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, I, you know, like I said, this has been not only eye opening for me, uh, you've given me a lot, a lot to think about. Um, I, you know, I appreciate Michael throwing out some of the, the legal aspects there that I can start to kind of Google and look up a little bit. Um, when this stuff does start to hit, I have all your email addresses. Uh, when it does start to, you know, when we do start to see it, you know, when the legislation does start to land, I'll certainly keep you guys in mind because uh, my hope is by then I won't be the Western Mass Chiefs president anymore and somebody else will be handling, you know, be the mouthpiece. Uh, but, you know, we can only stand to uh, to benefit by bringing more people to the table that uh, know a little bit about the subject. So um, I, I appreciate that. Happy to help, and and I'm always looking for an opportunity to go down to the lowlands from uh, my house up in Beckett. Uh, it was my understanding that you have a lot less snow and ice there, so that sounds pretty good from where I sit. Right now we do, yep, right now we do, but not always the case. <laughs> all right, well, hey, Chief Mason, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think this was really informative for all of us. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I feel the same way. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, that was guys. great. I think we're Thank done. Thank you. Bye-bye. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.